0: When I stumbled across my next guest in a list of potential guests, it was a no-brainer that we definitely needed to talk as our missions aligned. The more I learned about this exceptional human, the more curious and in awe I became. Jeff Garner describes himself as a romantic visual artist, pioneer, and unconventional designer of his sustainable label, Prophetic. Apart from unapologetically being a mad scientist of fashion in a way that is kind to humans and the planet, his list of achievements are as breathtaking as his work. He has been named one of the top 40 artists in the US, and his works were placed permanently in the Smithsonian's Renwick Gallery for the 40 Under 40 exhibition. He's also an Emmy Award winner for his documentary on sustainable fashion called Remastered. As a prominent ethical voice in the fashion industry, Jeff dresses many artists such as Cheryl Crow, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus and Kings of Leon, just to name a few. Born and raised in the Civil War town of Franklin, Tennessee on a horse farm, Jeff has a deep connectedness with nature. After spending time with Jeff direct from his cabin in Malibu, it became clear to me that his is a voice that needs to be heard and his pioneer spirit needs to be shared. I hope you enjoy getting to know Jeff as much as I did. Welcome, Jeff, to The Ethical Evolution. Thank you for having me. Now, um, I'm super excited to connect with you today. Um, For those of us who don't know who you are, can you tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, I've been doing sustainable design for about 18 years now i believe um so i have a collection called prophetic Mm -hmm. um and i design in tennessee and in malibu california and i showcase around the world we do paris fashion week london fashion week etc we had a documentary that won an emmy called remastered it's about sustainable fashion toxins and clothing etc um but yeah and then i designed for artists and red carpet etc and um, try to teach when I can I teach master courses and design schools and
0: yeah absolutely incredible and uh, your work is absolutely breathtaking can I just say
1: thank you so much
0: um and and you're also in the Smithsonian aren't you which is incredible
1: yeah that was a real blessing they uh named me one of the top 40 artists in the U.S. and we did a catwalk show in front of the uh Renwick Gallery and mm. that's right across from the White House so oh wow I Actually, had asked asked the Secret Service if I could, uh, you know, ride a horse in front of, you know, and they're like, sure. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That is so awesome. Um, So, obviously, you're all about sustainable fashion and, and, you know, the ethics behind um, the fashion industry. Um, What would you say, in a nutshell, is your mission?
1: So, my mission has always been to basically bring about more conversation and more awareness. So, I started out in Tennessee designing for bands and that's when I discovered how dirty and dark everything was mm. and so it was at the very beginning my kind of scientific creative brain was like, we gotta solve this and figure out different solutions because um, I saw guys basically taking you know when you print a t-shirt right it's plastisol ink and you throw it through a dryer and it off gases as it goes through so, saw these guys with or without mask i saw you know i couldn't be in the building myself so you know it was little things like that that was like wow what is this stuff made of and why is it so dirty and what do we do with the leftovers and you know and this was something early on and so basically i felt like okay i can get the band guys to try to do more organic stuff like using organic cotton but then in the band world it's about merchandise and price points etc cetera, etc cetera. So I had a little bit of um, you know, influence, but then I was like, okay, to get a bigger, grander platform, I need to do couture. So that's what I started designing couture and using natural fabrications and figuring out plant-based dyes. That took me about eight years of figuring out how to get these colors. And I just went back, I studied in Florence, Italy, and I I knew, you know, the rural families, et cetera. That's why purple tones were royalty, et cetera, because they were the hardest to get. So I went back and did historical studies and figured out what they used and how they did it and, and just started applying that. And um, basically, yeah, so that's kind of how it evolved uh, naturally. Um, so, yeah, so it's always been a platform for awareness.
0: Yeah, and I can so relate to what you've just said there because I'm actually about to launch a, a T-shirt line here and I've gone down the organic ethical uh, line and it, it's not not a cheap thing to do.
1: No, not at all and but you know the reality is the price points are off, so you're still buying t- shirts for seven bucks at h and m et cetera that mm. you know we were buying the same at the same price point in the seventies, so everything else naturally has gone up in price, gas food, you know living all you know just normal things, right coffee's six dollars now mm. um, so why have not you know fashion t-shirts fast fashion so basically you you look back and it's all about the manufacturing and who's paying for it well it's not the people making it i mean it's not the you know the companies that are making it it's the manufacturing right so they just Mm -hmm. keep moving around they keep getting you know by the you know with countries that have no policies for you know protecting the environment and so that's that's how it happens so it is a misconception. So your organic t-shirt band t-shirt should be $40 at retail. Mm. I mean, to be able to buy the fabric and do, you know, an orga- organic pigment ink or water-based ink, you know, you're going to get out of that with your COG at 10 to $12. Mm. So, you know, it makes sense. So, mm. um, you know, it it just yeah. That's what we're up against is is that misinformation and that marketing that you know. So everyone's used to the seven dollars t shirt.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And you know, some of the the previous guests on the on the podcast are like Outland Denim and U Underwear in the UK. Um, we've talked a lot about um, the cotton manufacturing industry and how damaging mm-hmm. it is to the environment. No doubt you've you've seen that side of it as well.
1: I have, yeah. I mean, obviously I grew up in the South, so Mm. that was a big cash crop there. Um, And yeah, absolutely. And done, you know, and yeah, I mean, just I, well, uh, the short of it is I lost a child and her grandfather was Mississippi, uh, was a a crop duster. Right. And so what happened, they, they grew up, the daughter grew up, um, you know, Veda's mom grew up next door to this crop dusting facility. It obviously impacted the groundwater and then she was raised on this groundwater. So she was, you know, never was told she could never ever have a child, et cetera. So when we had the miracle child Veda, she came with complications mm. from that. And anyways, we lost her, but, um, so sorry. that, yeah. So I've seen firsthand, you know, what those, those, chemicals that they cropped us with too so um yeah it's a big issue so that's why you know we as consumers need to buy things that you know obviously have those certifications but not afraid to pay that price point because then nobody suffers Mm. or you know and our environment doesn't suffer the people making it don't suffer and that's what we really need to talk about is like you know, Walmart could pay 10 cents more to produce these denim jeans and they could recycle the water at these, you know, factories in Xinjiang, China, but they don't offer that. Mm. But consumers would pay more for the product if Walmart would say, hey, we're starting this recycling program of our denim dyeing of our water, and so that they don't suffer there in the Pearl River, et cetera. But that's nobody knows about it. It's like out of sight, out of mind, mm. right? production is not in our backyards anymore. In the States we used to produce in like an Ohio River would catch fire because we'd be dumping you wow. know, petroleum-based chemicals into the river and so it flows like tar and obviously it's a fire hazard. So we just don't remember. None of us were alive during those times. So um, so now, yeah, we don't see it.
0: Mm. And, and this is why it's so important to have these kind of discussions, Jeff, and, you know, um, if we can get those big box, you know, um, department stores to actually make change that's that's where we can really cut through
1: yeah yeah I'd had a conversation Interesting enough uh, a gentleman moved to I won't mention his name but he moved to Tennessee on a farm with like a Brady Bunch you know he had, he remarried and now he has six kids now and he's living a simpler life but he ran Banana Republican Gap um, for about 20 plus years. So I said, I met him at a, like a Halloween party, I think. And I was like, you should be my arch enemy. Anyways, we got to talking and I said, what is it like, just, you know, obviously you're out of business now. Just tell me what he goes, Jeff, listen, I had a staff of 60 people that were supposed to go around and check all these factories, et cetera, and, and make sure they uphold our quality and do what we ask and blah, blah, blah. He goes, I couldn't, we couldn't manage that. Mm-hmm. It was not enough personnel and blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, I, I kinda believe you, but I was like, so he was basically saying that Banana Republic Gap could not reinforce their standards with these factories. And I was like, hmm. And then I went to the factories firsthand and visited them and said, Well, and I met with the factory owners and they said, No, these bigger, you know, entities like Gap Banana Republic Walmart pushed them to the tilt and basically say, if you don't produce it at x we're pulling the contract and then you and your family and all your employees are out of work because they literally have to like only take their orders because there's huge volume so you know there's no way they could do more than just like a walmart contract or banana republic contract so you know they really have to adhere and so they obviously have to cut corners so it's almost an impossible task for like let's say you know banana republic say you got to make it at x but then we want you to, uh, you know, we want to make sure all these policies are in place so we don't get red flagged, you know, recycling the water and, you know, everybody gets a break and like just all these standards they have for fair trade. And, you know, so there's a disconnect, so they can't possibly do it. So it's very interesting. Like that story has never been talked about, obviously, like anywhere else. There's, um, you know, the owner of a factory, there's, some, there's bad and there's good you know, and we know that. But there's good factories, obviously, in China as well. But, again, it boils down to if we lift these these low-bottom pricing that all these companies bank off of and say, hey, well, just lift it so that everything's done in an ethical manner. Because we don't need any more of that anymore. We don't need to pollute and, you know, and make our workers sick, et cetera. Like, that's, that's like, bottom layer. That's, like, okay, this is... This is, you know, should be out of the system by now. Mm. So until we enforce those policies, I don't see how that is just going to continue to be masked and, you know, forgotten about because these companies have great publicists that, you know, are mm. able to just sway it.
0: Yeah, and I've also heard that, um, you know, some of the larger change, if they don't sell a uh, product, they basically just bury it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was in London showing at Fashion Week and there was a big article during Fashion Week. I'll never forget this. I was showing my elephant painted dresses and and we were on like the front cover of this and then on the second page was like H&M found cutting, slicing, and dumping their clothes in the dumpster. Mm. You know, and it was just like, yeah, because they're they don't want to oversaturate the market. So they instead of you know giving them away or sending a lot of companies send them used to send them to Africa but they now just burn them or slice and throw them away which is horrible yeah so you know again it shows the problem where we're that capitalistic mass market, you know mass production model really doesn't work
0: Mm. yeah it's such a waste such a waste so um for you, in you know, uh, creating your dyes and 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 in the production that you do, I mean, what's what's your biggest challenge, and how have you overcome it?
1: Um, you know, the biggest challenge, obviously, it's a time commitment. Yeah, it's a learning curve. Um, you know, it's kind of like mad science, which mm. I personally love. Mm. But I have a notebook huge thick notebook of like, oh, I accidentally got this color. How did I do that? <laughs> and then you have to go backwards and figure out, oh, that was a mistake, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And there's so many variables to it, whether the, the the air temperature, for example, changes the way the color comes out, mm-hmm. um, the type of pot you use, right, So the, because of metals leak yep. into the dye solution, your water, mm-hmm. how much chlorine in the water or not in it, um, the sunlight. I mean – There's just so many variables. So to me, it's fun, but you could think about it from a production standpoint. If a consumer wants this solid, certain color, and have it that way every time, well, it's just not going to be that way. Yeah. But that's the beauty beauty of natural dyes. You can, you you know, I figured out I keep consistency in a lot of colors. Some colors are just always going to be unique and special. So, so that's you know, but. After about five years of shipping stores and them understanding that variable, then they turn it around and realize, well, this is a, and you know, this is an additive. This is great. Mm. Like we love this. This is handmade and crafted. And <laughs> like I'll never forget when it started becoming a thing, crafted and handmade, all this stuff. I'm like, well, we've been doing this whole time, and it was a negative, and now it's a positive. Yeah, like, great. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> and- so that
1: that's that's been the main yeah thing. Yeah.
0: And it's so cool. I mean, there there is a bit of an evolution happening, isn't there? Like people are starting to wake up and and see the difference that, you know, um, buying ethical clothing and and sustainable fashion makes. And it's really coming down to the consumer's dollars, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that's always, you know, I've converted so many of my friends. Mm. You know, I have, um, you know, girlfriends that, you know, in Malibu that, work out every day and yoga wear, drink, you know, acai or, you know, smoothies every day, like Mm. are the epitome of like what you would see on the Instagram models as super healthy. But then you look at their skin and they're, they have, you know, they're breaking out Mm. on their back or their shoulders and little bumps, etc. And so obviously that's your body way of saying, Hey, I'm trying to get out these toxins. Mm. And they, uh, they always ask me, I said, well, it's the TDI in your your spandex and your leggings, Mm. you know, and your yoga pants. And I go, it's been proven. It's just science. It's like it's a hormone disruptor. Mm. And obviously, the more you wear it and off-gas in it and sit out in the sun in it, the more it's going to penetrate your skin. And everybody's DNA structure is different. So obviously, it's going to affect you know, women differently mm. depending on where, where their levels are. It's called bioaccumulation. So it's interesting. So they think they're epitome of healthy, yet they're still breaking out. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, it's, you know, that's, that's what it is. So yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, and there's uh, there's so many levels to it, isn't there, that we could go into. It's like we could be <laughs> yeah, here all day. I'll,
1: yeah, I'll let, I'll let you guide it. <laughs> I, I, I talk too much. <laughs> oh,
0: I love it, I love it. Um, So this one's probably a bit left field, but I, I'm so keen to hear your answer on it. Can you define what being ethical means to you?
1: Wow, interesting question. Yeah, I you know, it's kind of a, well, since I started doing this, it became like a term um to me ethical you know in my viewpoint it just means doing the right thing so I always felt as a designer like we should not create anything that could harm a person or harm the environment and that was kind of like our ethos our code of conduct like the knights and armor is like they had a code of conduct like you know so I think of it that way
0: yeah so love it absolutely love it so um what what have you got coming up what are your future plans at the moment
1: um, well, I just finished doing a. Well, fashion weeks are dead, obviously, right now. Mm. So I worked on a TV show series called Down to Earth with Zach Efron and Darren Olin. Mm-hmm. So I did the wardrobing for their second series. They're actually in Australia now. Yeah. Um, filming. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I was supposed to say that or not. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we know, we've I'm, heard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everyone's heard. Um, so, you know, and it. it Again, it's a great show that that really you know goes into the heart of matters and and brings you know they're talk- like the first series they talked about the water and nobody mm. understands you know the connoisseur of water and what's in it and how important that is and you know it's interesting topics so obviously they want to dress the parts so, mm. so I came up with like a wearable men's collection made of hemp and plant based dyes etc. So it's cool to see them and they're like this is all we need I'm like yep. Because you don't need to wash it every time you wear it. And, mm. you know, it's going to last your whole time you're filming and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I think they're riding motorcycles, I think, a one thing. And so I made some, like, riding pants for that that are kind of vegan leather and stuff. So it was cool. Mm. It was a cool little project. So I just wrapped that. And then now I'm working back on my intimates. So we have hemp boxers and hemp bras. And I'm trying to add more styles to that collection because I – It's it's a it's a need. Every time I talk about it, everybody's like, "Well, where'd I go?" I'm like, "I don't really know." I mean, you know, you can look on Etsy and these places, Mm. but um, and then they send stuff to me and say, "Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this?" I'm like, "Ah, that's not the best solution." Mm. You know, it it has one element, but not all of them. So I learned very quickly. I'm such a purist in what I do that my commercial element, i.e., the the intimates, is done in that format. So so, anyways, I'm trying to implement more of those styles so people have more options once they get educated they obviously want to go out and and wear the stuff so Mm. um so yeah so i'm trying to service that need right now so yeah
0: yeah and that more natural fibers um they don't like you say they don't react with the body um as much do they like synthetics and things like that
1: no it's nine day difference i probably would break out in a rash if i put on anything synthetic honestly Mm. i have not worn since I started this, you know, fifth, well, started 18 years ago and, and basically started making my own clothes about 15 years ago. So I haven't worn anything since uh, brought anything since. So, um, but everyone I kind of convert over, they automatically feel the difference. Mm. And mm. the only time I can relate is like, if I stay at a hotel and they have like polyester bleached white sheets mm. and I get so itchy, I usually like, sleep in dark tub or something.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Or outside if I can because I just can't, I cannot handle it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, so I've got um, the last big question for you, Jeff. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life?
1: Um, <laughs> I would love to see everyone walking down the street wearing, sorry. I'm I'm right on the ocean, so that was a a, a coast Coast Guard chopper. Oh. Um, so I would love to see everyone, you know, walking down the street wearing natural fibers and plant based dyes. And I just think that that landscape, like that picture, would be gorgeous. You know, like the old postcards mm. where everyone used to dress up. Like it would go back to that. And I mean you take a picture today of these cityscapes, I, I you know, that's it just looks ugly. Yeah. It's like it's like a mismatch. It's like synthetic clothing and I don't know, and just the styles, et cetera. It's just all over the place. It, but uh yeah, I would love to see that. Um, because obviously that would mean a lot of things, that we weren't poison our bodies anymore and that the, we're benefiting the earth by not using those toxins in in the clothing. So it, it, it would mean, you know, a good shift basically.
0: Mm. And that's a bit of a theme that I've, I've seen through this podcast is we need a bit of a re- reverse evolution, don't we?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Mm. No, it's 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 funny every time I like, so I have a farm in Tennessee and, and my friends will, you know, I've throw, I used to throw like holiday parties and stuff, but I told everyone, you got to come dressed and dressed in sustainable. Mm. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be allowed in if you don't. Wow. <laughs> and it reminds me it reminds me of the old, uh, Spitalfield uh, pageant balls that they used to have in Queen mm. Victoria. Mm. So the Spitalfield silk was the old Thai silk, and it was about to go, you know, it's the French Huguenots that were doing it, and they were about to go out of business because everyone stopped wearing that that silk for the ties. So she threw these Plantagenet balls that everyone had to make their costumes out of the silk. So basically... Gave you know a boost to the spittoon silk makers and allowed them to continue it. And uh, anyway,s it's interesting. So yeah. So every, even if we go out to a restaurant or bar, I dress my friends. Oh wow! It's funny. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How cool would it be to hang out with you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should ask my buddy Ali. I dressed him in a dress last time. <laughs> it was it was great fun.
0: <laughs> awesome. But yeah. Well, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the Ethical Evolution.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate your voice and what you're, you're doing, so thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker, or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. you